0: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
1: Hello and welcome to Off The Beat & Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, I sit down with Simon Day. Simon Day of The Fast Show, of Brian Pern, of King Gary it's uh it's a great chat and uh and you, you're gonna hear lots of talk of of uh well there's 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 echoes of glam and punk and new wave and post-punk and and yeah and so much more so you know we, we then touch on you know kind of baleric music and you know the the, the early rumblings of house you're in for a real treat on this one um, before we get on with it, I'd just like to uh, say thank you to Scroobies Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network. And thank you very much to 76 for producing this podcast. Um, if this is your first time uh, listening to Off the Beaten Track uh, and you enjoy it, then um, when you finished listening to this episode with uh, Simon, go and have a look in the, the back catalogue. Because um, if you like uh, comedy and comedians um, talking about records, then uh, I've recorded episodes with... James Acaster, Brett Goldstein, Jade Adams. Oh gosh, there's loads. Um, but yeah, and then also there's, there's interviews with musicians as diverse as Chuck D to James Lavelle, to Mel C to the Deftones, to Chic. So, so go and have a, a rummage around in the archives and see if there's anything there that, that tickles your fancy. Um, right. I think um, that's it. Or I will say, if you do um, want to support the podcast, then there is a Patreon page Um that accompanies this as well uh you can find out about all things related to the podcast on off the beat and track uh, podcast.com that's not beaten that's beat and www.offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com right let's get back to business please enjoy off the beat and track podcast with mr simon day it's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network with me, Stew. With Right, we're recording. Uh, seeing opposite me today, Simon Day. Hello. Hello. Well, um, I, I sent you a message on on, on Instagram uh, to see if you was uh, you was up for for coming on, and uh, yeah. I, I kind of forgot about it. And then at the blue, I got a message <laughs> saying, "Yep, I'd, uh, I'd I'd be up. No, for I don't. It. I don't. It
2: was I don't look at the message on Instagram or Facebook, so. I don't do Facebook at all when I, uh, I don't really, uh, I got the message a bit late on Instagram.
1: Well, we're in now uh, and we're, uh, we're, we're ready to talk records, but just quickly, um, you know, I kind of <coughs> got to have the, the conversation that everybody seems to have when you, you, you know, you meet someone for the first time in, in 2020. Um, have you been finding the year you've been coping? All right.
2: Yeah. Being an actor, you know, I'm used to long periods of doing absolutely nothing. Um, We got a puppy just before lockdown and uh, my kids were at the age where they didn't mind not going to school. My son swapped sport for playing Fortnite. He played Fortnite so much... When he went back to school and started doing sport again, he got about five injuries because he basically his legs <laughs> just been underneath the table. <laughs> and he was, I mean, he's a, he plays football for two teams. He, he's had trials and all that. And <laughs> basically he went back to school and they smashed it. He really he got quite a bad injury because he, he had not literally, but, you know, you say, oh, well, let's get them out and make them walk up a hill. But you don't. Yeah. Because they're out and you're just on your own watching box sets and going, this is nice. So, yeah, they're at their age where they just want to be in their room and they go, what do you want when you go in there? Yeah. What do you want? Who are you? Why are you in my room?
1: Yes. Yeah, it's it's got to the point now where like um I knock on my kids' doors now. Oh yeah. And it's like it's it's got to that age now where I have to knock just to go in a room in my own house, which is
2: quite weird. Don't tell me about it. But I do that annoying thing of knocking and going straight I'll in. i do that because my daughter hates goes, <laughs> yeah. wait. It be undressing? I go, oh, yeah, sorry. If I'm being in a mood I go in.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, um we're gonna kick things off uh track one. What do you regard as a song having the greatest ever intro?
2: I mean, it's very hard to pick one out of all these um, songs. And I'll probably, and it's one of those things you go back and you go, oh, of course, that. You can have but, some
1: honourable mentions, mate.
2: Yeah, OK. I'm going to go for this one because I heard this in Deptford Market um, where they used to have a, a record store and the guy had a big sound system. So he would play the records, the vinyl, really loud. And I was walking down Deptford High Street, and he played "I'm Coming Out" by Dinah Ross. Oh, what a record! She's got that amazing drum, drum sort of beat when it comes in. It's just basically a drum, it's sort of like a drum solo, isn't it? And the brass, duh, duh, duh. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to go for that. I just, and it's a great record. You know, a lot of her stuff is really good, especially the stuff she did with, um, you know, your man from Sheik. No, really. That was her biggest selling album, apparently.
1: Yeah, that, uh, it's that no Rogers guitar, isn't it? It's just, like, yeah, it's just pure disco. It's just brilliant.
2: Yeah, my old piano is uh, those songs of hers are my favourite. I in the ballad my old piano and upside down is a brilliant record. Oh, what a record! <laughs> I used to remember throwing myself around to that in various nightclubs. Well, we'll, we'll <laughs> yeah, get on, we we'll get on pro- the club there's there's in a bit later. A probably one, or you know, um, like uh, there's a, a record by Bruce, uh, Bruce Springsteen the ballad of, of something which all starts off with guitars and piano and, and maybe the yellow brick road, I'm going to go for that. Because I remember hearing it and getting nearer and nearer.
1: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door.
0: Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash acast and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.
1: it. it is strange that like generally with this question it goes two ways like guess either choose something like what you chose which is pretty much instant like either going to make you dance straight away or it's just like yeah. a, you know or, or, or something like you know I not know I thought the law which is just you know a huge instant call of arms yeah yeah like, yeah um, or it does go the complete opposite way. It does go proggy. Yes. It does go Floyd. It does go for that long, yeah, long yeah. drawn out intro. So it's always interesting yeah. to see which ones or people lean towards. Um, all right, well, we're gonna we're gonna kind of sort of work our way through your your, your life, I guess, with these, these these song choices. So for for track two, uh, Simon, I'm going to ask you the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you.
2: Um. I was one of those weird kids and I was always drawn to really weird records like I like, uh, suicide is painless. That that was number one. Do you remember that? And I was talking to the music journalist the other day on Twitter about, um, seasons in the sun, which was another really odd, weird, Mm. you know, about suicide. But, um, you know, you basically listen to your parents' records or your brother's records. We were only a year apart, so we kind of had the same taste in music. Although he liked T Rex, so I was like, right, and I'm and I like Slade. And he went to I went to a comprehensive. He went to a private school, and Slade is the ultimate adolescent band when all your remote, you know, all your your hormones all over the shop, your spots and girls, and Slade were just so sort of nutty, weren't they? But, yeah. but the first music that affected me emotionally would be would be my parents. What my parents played that would be Simon Garfunkel. Um, and still now, I just think the, the combination of, of his voice and the arrangements and the, the lyrics. And I was talking to Tracy Thorne, actually, about everything but the girl. And she was saying, we both we were on Twitter, we were saying that the, the song I'm going to choose is America by, by them.
1: That's my favourite. that
2: line where he goes, counting the cars on the New Jersey turnpike, they've all gone to look for America. And she said, makes me cry. You, you know, when I hear it, even now, it makes you want to cry because they're you know a good song like that. They're like little films, aren't they? And I didn't know anything about America. You know, anything. About what the, I didn't know what the New Jersey Turnpike was, but there's some there's an emotional, emotional pull from Simon Garfunkel records, which I think is one of the reasons they were so enormous. You know, yeah. I mean, everyone likes Bridge Over Troubled Water, which is a, of course a classic. But I, I love every every single song they've ever done. You know,
0: um,
1: I don't know if you've seen it. Um, I don't know if you ever kind of go down sort of like rabbit holes on YouTube, watching kind of performances and stuff. But there's yeah. there's a performance, um, a kind of whether it's some sort of um, induction into the, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or something for Paul Simon. But there's American Bank or First Aid Kit, and they do a right they perform America for him while he's sitting there in the audience, and. It's stunning, it's absolutely stunning really? These two girls just deliver this incredible version of America, and you can see like Paul Simon's bottom lips going it's like it's a, <laughs> it's a cracker it it really is um so were you always sort of exposed to to music growing up was there records on at home?
2: not, not so much for my parents, but i was I was straight into music as a kid um buying singles my brother went on to become a dj my brother was a dj and he dj sort of before house he dj'd at a special branch and those places in the 88 89 and he's not he sort of stopped and just got a proper job he said i'm just going to make a decision and he said i wish i'd stayed at it cold cut he knows all those people the guy that did pump up the volume chris whatever he said oh your brother because i since met all these djs and went oh your brother i used to go and watch him in 1987, so-and-so. So, so he bought... I'd go out and buy a record. I'd come back and he'd bought it in blue vinyl and red vinyl. So I just didn't buy any records. Yeah. And I just listened to his. Um, and I went right through. You know, we were very lucky, our generation, because we had the punk and then we had the scarfing with the specials with the right age and we are just not too old for the house thing. So I think we had a fantastic musical journey, you know, because you started off with Led Zeppelin and Free and all that, and then you suddenly punk came along and you know all the new wave stuff so so yeah i think it's a really good age mind to be exposed to these different musical genres
1: absolutely and, and, and i think it's really weird you said that your brother dipped out of DJing sort of 86 87 that was literally probably the final years before djs become superstars money. yeah he sort like, of laughs
2: about it but he's yeah. got an amazing job uh he's very bright and he just said i don't i've got to make a decision and he said, you know, this was before they started Superstar DJs, and obviously all those people went on to be, you know, cold-cut and blah, mm. blah, whatever. Um, I mean, he wasn't he wasn't into the, the, the drug side of it. He would never have gone and become, you know, an Ibiza and all that. That was another part of it. He was quite straight, you know. But, yeah, as you say, it went 1990, 1991, 92 Suddenly it became... You know, superstar DJs and and records being sold. You know, yeah. they, they were sold a lot of records, you know, and of course, they had the back in the music industry. Then, you know, uh, when you know they actually made money out of records.
1: It's really interesting. I'm, I'm one of them people that likes watching the kind of old repeats of Top of the Pops on uh, on BBC Yeah. and and they're around eighty eight, eighty nine at the moment, and and it's it's really interesting seeing that all of a sudden there's things like Adamski, and 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 it's just like a guy and a keyboard. And how the BBC and Top of the Pops didn't know what the fucking hell to do with that. They've just tried to like put these random dancers on there that look a bit lost and nothing to do with the artist. And and they obviously just.
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And they, and they couldn't really have them live because they didn't really that's what that's why it was great when you had someone like Seal, yeah, who could really sing and they had a yeah. star, they're always trying they always rail companies are always trying to find a face for a movement. So they yeah. go, Joe and bass, what are you gonna do? Goldie yeah. will have him, he can be the pinup, And you know, Stone Roses, they they, they don't want fake they don't want a guy called Gerald. Yeah. They don't want a faceless sort of music guys in his bedroom. Yeah, um, but yeah, I know, and and they're so eclectic. Those top of the pops now,
1: aren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, and and it's it, 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 still
2: got because it feels like got, that
1: time, like from eighty seven to maybe ninety, there was a big change through acid Ass and and hip hop exploded, and and then the, the whole Manchester thing happened. That little kind of sort of three year period was very, very kind of interesting for for British music as well. Yeah,
2: it just it did explode, and and. and and There was so much of it, and then of course you had the, what helped it was to like, the Paul Oakenfold thing of the remixes of even better than the real thing because people would go to raves I and mean, I'd go to raves and I I, I didn't really you know the, the get I wasn't really into the whole sort of vocal let that be house all that stuff and so I was much more because you've been into rock music, suddenly you two come along. oh, great, you know, I, I, and, and kids could get into that, you know, and then the Stone Roses, he did the Stone Roses and, and the Mondays and all that and it'd be a Justin Robertson and the, there was a proper crossover there and then, then they were remixing anyone, people who didn't even deserve to be remixed, yeah. you
1: know. Yeah, that was my entry point. That was all of a sudden when, like, the Mondays and, and, and The Roses come out, it was, oh, hang on, this is guitar music to dance to. This is, you yeah. know, when Weatherall and that were all getting their hands on them records and just, yeah. you know. Fall's,
2: I mean, Fall's Gold was such a <gasps> huge
1: record, wasn't it? And uh, to this day, like, I I I, I run a venue uh, in, in Essex that sort of plays alternative music, and, and I mean, I, I, I dread to think how old Fall's Gold is. I don't want to think because it make me feel old, but, yeah. Uh, Sonically, it still sounds like it's from outer space when you hear it now. It don't sound like record, anything no? else. Ah, oh, absolutely <laughs> wonderful. All right. Well, for track three, I'm going to ask you um, the song that reminds you uh, of your time at school.
2: I've just lost my list, but I remember the one way. Right. Well, this is my secondary school. My primary school, you know, is uh, I'll forget that, but my secondary school. I had a really bad time at secondary school. My parents broke up, blah, blah. blah, blah. And, and what I remember most, because I hated it, was basically rollers. I used to hate them. And I remember the girls all sitting in the sort of, whatever it was called, the, the sort of star from common room bit, whatever, and they all sat there wearing all the gear. There was a record player and they listened to the, the tartan scarves and the flares, bye-bye baby, bye-bye... Uh, Basically rolling, bye, bye, bye. Because before all, it was a terrible time of music when all those bands were waddy waddy mud, yeah. You know, and they were, it was just bad rock and roll, wasn't it? Shaking scenes. I mean, great, lovely people, I'm sure. And there was a couple of gems amongst all that stuff. But it's kind of just real proper music business, Sven Dross. You know, um, Chin and Chapman, all that stuff. I mean, the Sweet, listen, the Sweet were good. The, the, yeah. That's not, not the Sweet. They were a brilliant band. And they sold 15 million records. Yeah. So, but, uh, yeah, basically, roll with, da, 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 da. I just remember it. They call it an earworm now, don't yeah. they? But, da, 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 feel free. So, yeah, so that, uh, I, I was just very unhappy at that time in my school days, and that sort of crystallised that, that the time, that record.
1: Where's that song take you now? Does it take you back there, or, or can you enjoy it now for what it is? Yeah, I could join in what it is. Yeah, it's quite a clever record,
2: actually. Is it it's Frankie Valli? Frankie Valley right here? Possibly. I, I think Frankie no Valli wrote that. Yeah, I think.
1: Bye, so. bye, baby.
2: Yeah, it's quite a good pop song, isn't it? Actually, when you think about it. So, I just remember that. Tom, when you when you ask me that question, rather than think of something cool and and go for a cool one, you have to be careful with these lists. Because you go, all oh, right, I'll say uh, shot by both sides a magazine. People start saying all oh, the kids like, "What's the first record you pull?" I was going to invent a cool one, you know. Oh, actually, it was uh, Warm Leatherette, but, but, you know, my first record
1: wasn't cool either. No the one's first, first record cool. was Warm Leatherette, and, like, and that's the thing that's been really nice on this podcast. No one's tried to be too cool. It's like, come oh, on, good. first record, it's, it's got to be a howler. Nothing's going to be good. Like, no. no one was listening to John Peel when they were eight, do you know what I mean? No, exactly. Like, <laughs> come on. Um, so you didn't enjoy school, Simon?
2: Secondary school, no. It is a, yeah, that's when I, because I'm, you know, I'm an addict, so that's when I went off, that's when I started, you know. Did you have it any idea yeah. what
1: you wanted to be at school, though?
2: Yeah, I still had that dream of doing acting or something or comedy or whatever, but I didn't really uh, get know how to get into it and it wasn't until much later that I did. I just sort of went out in the world and did stuff, you know, played pool and drunk beer and had muck jobs, you know, until much later. Uh, went and sort of got a lot out of life, you know, which I could draw on to do yeah. my comedy characters. Luckily, yeah. I got in at the last minute, you know.
1: Was you confident?
2: Well, at school, or well, then. then. No, I, well, I, no, not at all. I, uh, you know, I was just sort of low level in addiction, gambling, fruit machines, playing pool. You know, I never got really bad. I just sort of lived, you know, as girlfriends, you know, just did jobs, worked for me, mate. I was just toddling along really but I was sort of thinking what am I going to do you know about you know my mates were going to university and getting proper jobs and then 29 I started doing the stand up and um the rest is history as they say
1: did you was that like a you know was there a moment where you just thought right that's it I'm just gonna because that's you know not that I've ever no, done it but I, there must I, be a brave I, moment you- to go I'm going to become a stand up. I'm going to do it but-
2: Rick and Bob had moved down here and they used to write above Jules Holland's studio and my mate used to have a fireplace shop below it and he got to know them and he said, listen, you're funny, you, you, you know, you should write something. And I said, yeah. And he helped me write this guy, you know, and he bought the wigs and we got this really hard 20 minutes, which is all different characters, which no one was really doing then. And I did a talent night in Sid Cup and they were judging Jim and Bob and I hadn't, we didn't really know them then I did this 20 minutes and it was just very different to what everyone else was doing then and they they just I won the thing and they said smart you know you can come on tour with us <laughs> literally like that and I went from landscape gardening what well, labour I was really carrying paving slabs to that then I went straight on tour with them I died a lot of times but you know that was a thousand thousand people in the venue a lot of people a lot of them were standing everyone was it was a nine, uh, 1991 everyone was drunk you know it was all madchester and manchester it was crazy but after i'd done that tour i kind of wasn't scared because because uh, you know they just supported me and said do Tom, they don't get it It goes over their head you know because they it was all very north it was a lot of northern pride in their stuff and when they found out i was from london They'd sort of, they'd go, get off, you know. And I wasn't, I just was, I was just doing Tommy Cockles, which was kind of so quiet.
1: Yeah.
2: It didn't really, Johnny Vegas always goes, "Yeah, I couldn't see you, you know, I had a fight and the blew up, he was talking over, you. I said, be quiet, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, but it was an amazing time. To, to go from that to that, I was just, I was, you know. I mean, that's a baptism of it.
1: fire, isn't it? To, to, I mean, because Vic and Bob yeah, are yeah,
2: straight up rock stars you know? then, weren't they? Yeah, it was just brilliant. It was such a best best time of my life, really, because I out I at 10 years of just existing, you know. Yeah. So it was a brilliant time. Okay. It was before it was a proper job, too, so, you know.
1: Track four, Simon, I'm going to ask you, the first song you remember buying from a record shop, and I know it was right. Warm Leverette.
2: It was, I've got a brand new pair of roller skates <laughs> and I'll give you the key... <laughs> I've been hanging around a while, and I don't, I, I don't, I haven't looked it up because I don't know what it's called. I think it's called. I'm going to put the lyrics in now. I've got a brand new, I've got a brand new pair of right. It might be something, like Martin, but brand new pair of roller skates. Here we go. Brand new key by Melanie. Right. Produced by Manly's husband. It was it was, uh, it was two minutes 26 seconds long, October 1971. And that, that I remember as being the first record I bought with my own money. And I gave, and, and uh, it was 50p, I think, maybe cheaper than that. Can you remember where you got it? Yeah, Blackheath Records, Blackheath Record Shop, very famous. Danny Baker will go on about it. It was right on top of the heath. And they had a box of punk singles at the front, which everyone used to nick. Um, and we would get all our records in there. And the other one I remember buying was 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 Physical Graffiti by Led Zeppelin on cassette. That was four ninety nine. And I took it back and played it on my dad's being old Dan Olfson um, sound system. And then I went down to Devon on the holiday and I had one of those little Phillips tape recorders. Yeah. It was like play or rewind fast forward. And that was such a such a great album that I, I still love that album to this day, I think that's their best album. You've got
1: You've mentioned punk quite a lot there. You just touched on that that box of punk singles in in, in the record shop. Like, how much of an impact did punk have on you?
2: Oh, a lot, definitely. But I was one of those half half a punk people. You know, I remember I went. I used to go and see. I, was, I used to see Doctor Feelgood a lot. Majority of the hot rods. Sort of you're, you're, talk, you're
1: talking about our hometown heroes here. These are Essex's finest, mate.
2: Yeah, they're, they're the best band ever, best live band ever. I'm very lucky because I haven't been to see a lot of bands, but and, I, and my brother one night came around and said, I'm going to see a, a concert. Do you want to come? And I was like, no. And that was the jam and the clash at the, uh, at the 100 Club. I didn't go, but I saw them a lot. I saw them four times Eddie, in the Hot Rods, with and without Wilco. And I remember I went to see them once and I had like a white shirt with safety pins skin-tight cricket trousers, 15 whole Dr. Martens painted red, and then I had a basin and haircut. And as I say in my book, I look like a Morris dancer. And um, (laughs) some bloke came up and started on me. Some bloke came up and Fred Perry and said, yeah, do you want to fight, mate? And I was like, no, you're... And uh, yeah, but people forget all the energy, but I didn't really go and see a lot of punk bands, the proper punk bands. I was a bit scared of all that. I was a bit too late. I went. I didn't go to the Roxy. I went to the Roxy 2, which was the club afterwards, because I was only 13. But the interview, that was a big moment. Watching the, the pistols being by you know, Bill Grundy, you know, it was, I don't think people realize now how big that was to see that as a kid. I was literally watching telly and it came on. And when telly was just your dad sitting there with his peanuts, gin and tonic, and suddenly it came on, it was like, what the fuck is this, you yeah. um, know? Yeah, that was a big moment. And his the cynicism, you know, of, of johnny rotten and you know you, i think that that gave me quite a lot of like wow you know there's another world out there yeah that's that, I mean,
1: that's almost at the, that's where i was kind of going with a, with, with a question so i i missed punk by a couple of years and 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 it's uh, whenever there's anything on television that bill grundy thing gets gets put on and and it still never sort of fails to lose its impact and And it's it's still it still impacts now in in a world where you know we were exposed to everything constantly, and I'm yeah I'm just always fascinated as to like how that must have resonated sitting there with you folks watching that and you know that coming. Well, because
2: everything was so sort of grey there, Mm. removed, and I lived in the suburbs, and the West End was 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 you know I wouldn't go up the West End. Lots of kids did, you know. I wasn't. I was a very suburban kid, and. People didn't swear on telly and it was dull and cold and grey, you know, and nothing was geared towards kids on TV. You'd watch Top of the Pops and Monty Python, you know, and you'd watch all the comedy with your parents. But there was something about that, the way they looked because they were so young and something about John Lydon, his eyes, you know, the way he spoke and that whole, you know, just his disdain for, for the whole setup. I think that's what really... You know, you realise that you could do what you want and and, yeah. and think what you want, and and you didn't have to just go and go to university and get a job and be whatever. Yeah. I mean, not not everyone sort of picked up their sort of flags from there on and went out and had a great life, but it certainly it certainly was electrifying to watch it. You no. know, people because my dad would take me, boat me up in the middle of the night to bring me down to watch some bloke landing on a gypsy moth who'd been around the world you know he got us up at two in the morning and I was like what why are we up and there's a, a black and white footage of a bloke stepping off a boat or you know Winston Churchill's funeral you know it was very much the grown-ups world then so this was real Yeah. you know I can't remember what my parents thought at the time they didn't turn it off I know that
1: and, and Grundy's he's, he's goading him he knows what he's doing as I well know. like it's uh I know. it's a cracking thing to watch it really is. it's a
2: sort of a broadcaster's instinct isn't it he's gonna make is it as it happened it came it worked very badly for him perhaps a few years later he would have done okay but mm. i think he was he was drunk when he i think that's mm. what they say 100 percent, 100 percent.
1: for track five simon the song that soundtrack your years
2: clubbing well again this is virtually impossible to choose one um there's so many Sway No Latino, um, my definition of a house by DJ Hell, and I went out a lot with, with Express Two and those people, and Ashley B, who I used to knock around with them. So their records, but I think probably the first, you know, the first lot of music that was played when I first went out in '89, '90, those records from. Detroit and all that, and the American sort of gay scene that produced those records. They were such incredible records, about emotion, the man, the way they sounded. And I'd have to go for "Tears," you know, by Frankie Knuckles, oh, what a done by Robert Owens. I mean, the way that record sounds—again, it sounds like it could be coming out now, you know. And it was just, they were so emotional. You know, I didn't know anything, anything about the records, where they came from. I didn't realise it was from, the, you know, it was, they were get it was from the gay scene or whatever. It was just, it just, they were just brilliant records.
1: Where, whereabouts was, where was Clubbing for you? London?
2: Yeah, London. We used to go to Full Circle on Sunday lunchtime, which was out of Heathrow. Um, and that would, that would be all Terry Farley and those people. And, uh, you know, then we go to a club on Sunday run by Nick Coleman, uh, Sunday night, Grazing Road, and I can't remember the name of it, I should remember Solaris, uh, and boys' own parties. Um, what a time to be home.
0: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
2: Yeah,
1: what? What a time to go Milk clubbing.
2: We'd go to in the week with oh. Holloway. Uh, we go there a lot, you know. I, mean, I didn't go out every night, but I certainly, you know, that was uh, when I was sort of drinking. So I certainly, I didn't turn down a night out in those days. Mm.
1: What, um, what did you want from clubbing?
2: Oh, what I liked about it was, was you could be uh, off your nut on E, dance all night and not really have to talk to anybody. Because <laughs> totally I used to hate clubbing. I was very shy. And you know, I would go I used to just go to dance. I used to love dancing. I did. I, I never pulled birds. I wasn't into that thing of chatting to girls. I used to want to, but I was. I never had a girlfriend through that. What's your name? Where are you from? Really? You know, and I had these mates going. My mate there, you'll get. I guarantee you, you'll get a bird's door keys within an hour and all that stuff. And it was before that came in. It was all very posy and sort of voguing, or it was violent. You know, you know because I was always treading on people's feet too. You know, so when the the, the whole sort of House scene came in and people started taking E and football hooligans were hugging each other, regardless of what, you know, long-term effects were, it just became a completely different landscape. And it was genuinely, you know, a very sort of emotional experience. It became all about the music and the sound of the music. And, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a bad lifestyle. In those days, you take half an E and you dance all night, you know, and you drink Ribena. It wasn't, it wasn't like you were sitting at a table, you know, drinking three bottles of Jack Daniels. Mm. And and so it was really it was just very uplifting, you know. And, I mean, obviously Monday mornings weren't brilliant, but and then
1: you got to look at, at like all. where where you know where the the rest of the country was at that point as well around eighty eight, you know, eighty nine. That in most clubs in high streets, you'd still be wearing trousers, a shirt, and sometimes a tie just yeah. to get in them. Which just exactly bouncers, does not it? Yeah.
2: And I, but you know, since and when I when I was gigging, you know, all through the nineties and two thousands, you go to some places in Wales and it would just be lager and just loads of people just dancing this in house music, but you know, going crazy and no, nothing druggy about it. And there were loads of people who weren't taking drugs, you know, and I'm sure that would have been fine too. But uh I used to like dancing I missed that I do miss that, that that sort of release of of not, you know, worrying about how you look from standing around and being sort of were you know being self-conscious, you just go in there and it was like firing a gun and you were off, you know, and suddenly it was time to go, it was four in the morning, you know. Do you not get that
1: sense of expression through your other work?
2: Yes, yeah, I do, and I'm lucky to do my job, I, I, you know, being creative and doing stand-up and acting, I love all that. I just, and and for me, you know, I'm clean now. I, it's, it, You know, I, I went through the end of that club and then go in there and we used to arrive and go, so we go, you know, there's it, a time in your life when you do it and it's great, and there's a time for it to stop, you know? And, um, it's, yeah, it, it, I, I don't regret those times because I met a lot of interesting people, you know? Okay.
1: Track six, a favorite song from an artist from your home County.
2: That would be uh, Squeeze. I grew up in Blair and Blackheath, and Squeeze were from there. And, and we used to see them all the time. I must have seen them twenty times. They were always playing down the pub, the Bell. We followed them at the Albany, and so I would say Squeeze. And one of my favourite songs of theirs. There's loads of them. I'll go for "Goodbye Girl." Oh, you, you, they're just you. such a brilliant. I was I was spoilt to have them as 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 our local band, you know, because yeah. they were so good in the songwriting. And, I, and, you know, I know, but I know him fairly well. And he definitely, Chris Dippen was definitely sort of influence on my writing, you know, the, the sort of writing sort of stories in an urban language, you know, that, like uh, at the Junction, you know. Oh. I never thought it would happen, me and the girl from Clapham had on the Windy Carman. You yeah, I could understand it. Again, they were like little stories. And Ian Jury, of course, as well. I mean, he's. A, I think he's a massive influence and loads of comedians from my from my generation. Uh, but yeah, they were such a great like, band as well. You, I mean, you, they
1: really were. You can't see it, but literally just to my my right there is my my signed set list from Squeeze last year. They're 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 just an incredible band. I, I love them. And yeah. if I was to go for if I was to answer my own and go for the greatest intro, I think Up the Junction is an intro and a half. You know.
2: After I've gone finished, I'm going to listen to it.
1: Oh, it's it's glorious. And what an amazing song. And it hasn't got a
2: chorus. No. No chorus. Ah, there you go. Yeah. I would say we were spoiled. You know, we didn't know. Everyone goes to see the local band, don't they? And we had squeeze. So, you know, just lucky, I suppose. How was it growing up in Blackheath? I was lovely, you know, Um, it's very green, and you had Greenwich there, Um, you had lots of space, and I used to walk everywhere, I never learned to drive, you know, I used to wander about and just walk about on the heath, and my childhood was very so idyllic, really, holidays in Devon and all that, Um, I I had a very nice childhood, I can't can't knock it, you know, Um, I go back there now, it's strange, I mean, there's a lot of cars there now, but was very much more like a village when we lived there. Yeah. Had, there was a bee bus shop when I was young, growing up there. Um, it's called a sort of poor man's Hampstead, but mm. the trouble is, for so most people, they got to go down the old Kent Road to get there, so they don't go. But there was no, there was no tube then either; it was just a, an overground train. Yeah. Um, so it was always cut off, and famously, the cabs would never take you home as well. Oh, really? Well, they, they would say, "I'm not going to Southeast London," you know. Um, whether because people used to run away and not pay, I don't know. But um, yeah, uh, they they were they always reluctant to take you. Home. I suppose they couldn't get a job on the way back. But that was the story anyway. I'm not. I ever got cabs in those days. I'd get a train or night bus or walk mm-hmm. home. You know, when you're young, you haven't got all that. I didn't have a lot of money.
1: For your last track, you, you can play DJ now, and um, right. it's the song that many may not know that you would like them to to listen to.
2: Hmm. I would like them to listen to a song called. Uh, I'll just tell you what it's called. And I'm gonna. And, and like a lot of these bands, when they do their late night tales or they do the comments, they put four of their tracks on. I'm gonna put the one track that I made, and it's by the Transit Kings, which was a com, which was a, one of the members of the Orb and Guy Pratt, who plays bass with Pink Floyd and various people. He plays with, with, he's currently in a group with uh, Gary Kemp and the John from Pink Floyd and it's called The Last Lighthouse Keeper and one day he said, he got me in a studio and he just said, come up with some lyrics and we'll make a record and I just came up, he played me some stuff and I came up with a story of of The Last Ever Lighthouse Keeper and um, yes, by the Transit Kings on Spotify. Have a listen to it.
1: Uh, Well, I've never heard that so I'm going to, I'm going to go and uh, give that a listen. So, you've obviously got a very very deep and varied taste in music so was that one of the driving forces behind pern
2: yeah it was reese's whole it was reese's thing but we both you know i've always loved music and when we came to write it he was it was interesting because he was for him it was about let's just sort of not copy genesis but we'll make it about genesis because i could always do a good peter Gabriel impression and he and we both love Peter Gabriel. I never was a fan of Genesis, but I like Peter Gabriel for some reason. And he he showed me these films of, of, of this is Reese um, of uh, Peter Gabriel talking about he was on tour and he had to speak to camera. He really looked like he didn't want to do it. And someone said, You've got to promote it. you know, and he'd be going, Hello, I'm here in Stuttgart and the guys it's just so shy in English. And we just said, let's, you know, let's do this thing. And not the opposite of Keith Richard, you know, a super rich, you know, awkward English person, you know, uh, who, who doesn't really, who is into his, his art, but the rest of it, he can't, he can't deal with. And, um, yeah, I, when we came to write it, I was like, "We've got to put this band in." And Reese was like, "Who are they?" You know, he 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 had because he's much younger than me. He had no sort of knowledge of punk or new wave. It was like, but you know, it was largely Reese that show. I don't I don't want to say, but but I love playing that part. You know, and we you know we we we, we had good really good fun making that. Uh, I'm really proud of that as a series. You know, not many people saw it, sadly. Oh, but wonderful. Absolutely
1: wonderful. And <laughs> you
2: how- like music, you love it, you know. And, it, and bands have got hold of it and it's gone on tour buses, you know.
1: So, did you, did you get to meet Gabriel at the end?
2: Yeah, because Reese invited him. To, we went to one of his gigs and, and Reese had emailed him and said, well, Can we see you, at, uh, you know? And I saw him before the show and I was really nervous because I'm taking the piss out of him. It was never, you know, never um, spiteful what we did. But I met him and I always thought he'd be short. Because he's very good looking on that picture of so, some reason I just assumed he was short. And he's tall as me, you know. And I remember I was I was eating crisps. I dropped my crisps when I met him. And he was like, "Hello." He goes, "You?" And he sort of... because I, I mean I don't I, I don't think he, he he came and was not an, in the show. You know, I've had people say, "Oh, you know, of course he says it. he has to say he likes it." Apparently, I heard his missus doesn't like it because you know it's a bit taking the making. Whatever he came, he was in the show, so he can't dislike it. I think he was surprised that people thought he was, you know, worth taking it you know what I mean? He was like people yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that are interested. But he came on, he was such a lovely guy. Yeah, you know, he's been in the show, he kills me twice, doesn't he? In two series, if you've seen <laughs> Just a really nice, nice guy.
1: Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, some what we do is all the songs that we've we've spoken about we put on a, a Spotify playlist to accompany the podcast so people can go and listen to um, all of your tracks. So um, I, I like to sort of say, I guess we're on our way out of this, this strange um, lockdown that we're in, but God knows where we're at at the moment. But um, if we're going to stay positive and, 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 hope that we are, you know, going to come out of this year, with, you know, in a better place, what are you looking forward to about returning to some sort of normality personally? And what have you got coming up um, and you excited about professionally?
2: Um. I'm doing uh, a a, a Christmas special of a sitcom in, but you can't mention that apparently because it's BBC want to announce it. Um, And yeah, I'm kind of doing that. I'm working on another thing, uh, which is a thing called Pennyworth, which is an American origin story, which is on some weird channel that no one can see, but you know, it's good (laughs) fun. It pays well. And uh, I'm looking forward to, to them opening the venues up really going to see some bands, um, you know, I had skits with my son to go and see um, Kendrick Lamar live and James Blake and all that, and they just cancelled that. They haven't given us the money back yet. That was last summer, um, this summer. And just, you know, getting everyone to be able to work again, that's that's the important thing, you know. with mean, this thing we're doing, we're filming it in February, may not happen, you know. We're filming the ser- another series of this thing in February, may not happen. Um, who knows what's going to happen? But, um, yeah.
1: Lovely. Simon, it's been an absolute pleasure talking records with you. Thanks so much no for worries. your time today, mate. And, uh, yeah, and have a lovely week, mate. And you, mate. See ya. Thank you. There you have it. Oh, great chat. What's up, fella? Um, yeah, literally went right the way through a, a multitude of genres there. And, uh, and, and they're the kind of chats I like when uh, it pinballs all over the place. You know, I, you know going from, like you know, Slade to Terry Farley to Kendrick Lamar. That's uh, that's a good chat right there. Um, thanks ever so much for listening. As mentioned at the beginning, please, if you see us on the socials, give us a like, love, a share, a retweet and and all of that gub uh, incest. It all goes to to help what is, you know, fundamentally a labour of love. If you do want to support the podcast further, you can do that um, over on Patreon, um patreon.com forward slash off the beaten track, um, where I put up four radio shows each week over there and video episodes and bespoke episodes. So you can support the podcast over there. Um, but but yeah, the best thing you can do is just kind of go on iTunes or or wherever you listen to your podcast and subscribe. Leave us a comment, and like I say, if you see us on the, the socials, give us a, a little like or a share. Um, that's me done. Um, have a lovely week, and, uh, and I'll see you next time. Thanks ever so much. Bye-bye. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing, www.sosclothing.co.uk. Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15, B-E-A-T-1-5, and that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk Official sponsors of Off The Beat & Track Podcast. It's Off The Beat & Track Podcast. On the distraction pieces network, it may stew with him.